Well, church, we made it through the transition. Woo! <laughs> I'm serious. It's not, you know, it's not a small thing. A church, you know, losing such a loving pastor, not on, for bad reasons, but for great reasons, can still be difficult. So I'm very, very excited that we're, we're getting through this transition. Um, the grace of the Lord is upon our church, and we are so excited about that. Um, in fact, the pastoral staff, we're really excited to have Pastor Ben and Amber and their family join us in the near future as our lead pastors. Amen? Come on, give me a hearty one on that one. All right. All right. So, it's my honor today to bring the word, and today we're launching a new series into the book of Colossians together, okay? Um, and we're just going to be kind of uh, doing the same thing we did before, where we're, you know, rotating every week until Pastor Ben and Amber have a chance to be here full-time with us. And so we're going to launch into this book. We'll see how far we get um, before they come. But, but it's going to be awesome to start a new book, right, a small, short book in the Bible that um, has, again, just like Ephesians, super power-packed with incredible truths, incredible applications for the church. That's what I love about the, the series that God kind of landed on our hearts. It's, it's a series that we're going through during a transition, right? When the church has to know what the church has to be like. It's powerful timing for that, that the Lord really just dropped on our hearts. So let's dive into this short book, which is really another letter, right, that Paul wrote to the church in the smaller ancient city of the city of Colossae. I hope I'm saying it right. I'm pretty, I heard a few people talk about it when I was studying and researching, so I'm pretty sure I'm saying it right. Um, and that was um, not too far from um, Ephesus. So first of all, let's turn to Colossians chapter 1, and let's read the first eight verses. That's really where we're going to be in today, not too far into it, um, because there's so much, already such good stuff here, okay? So let's read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. Dude, this is lathered with good stuff already. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. Did you hear a word in there that the Lord brought up earlier? Hope? That's the Lord. Nobody knew anything what was going to be said today. And I'm going to share with you something that the Lord brings up in the scripture that's really powerful for us to know and believe. So let's pray real quick before we move on. Father, we come before you today. We thank you that you are sovereign. You are a loving father who knows all things. And Lord, we may only know in part sometimes, but you know it all. And Lord, we thank you for the truth that Paul shares to the Colossians. Lord, that, that he hears these amazing things about this church and he commends them, Lord. So we just thank you, Lord, for that. We ask you, Lord, help us to receive your word today and understand your word and how it applies in our life. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask you, transform us by it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. So in this short passage of scripture we're dealing with today, we're going to talk about 
Ta-da! Three foundational pillars. You like how obvious that is? I know some of you guys were wondering what we're talking about. And we're not putting anyone up on a pedestal today either. <laughs> it's the truths that we're going to talk about today. These three pillars are critical for every church and I believe every believer to live by in order to run the race well and to make it to the end. It's what Paul just lays out in this short little section that we're going to talk about today. But first, let's do some background, right? Let's get into some information about this short book. That's a little map there of the, the city or the town of Colossae, way over there. If you remember, we talked about Ephesus, which is right by the water, right? So that, Ephesus was a, a massive city, right, really powerful and important in what happened in the book, of, uh, in the early church, I'm sorry. And this letter to Colossae was written by Paul in between 60 to 62 AD. While he was imprisoned in Rome, along with some of the other prison letters that we talked about, right? So Ephesians, Paul wrote from the, from the jail, Philippians, and the book of Philemon, a small little book of Philemon. And Colossae is what we call a small town. But it was important enough to merit the attention of the Apostle Paul. Isn't that cool? That even a small church, God cares about the small church. And God sees what was going on, and, and, he, and he alerts Epaphras to share that with Paul, and Paul writes to the Colossians because he cares about the Colossian church. Now, he wrote Ephesus to a, kind of meant as a, 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 um, a, a letter to take to all the different towns, right? Starting to the Ephesians, but it was a global church kind of mindset. He wrote it to share all that he could share. And Colossians he wrote in a different way. See, Paul did not plant this church. In fact, it's believed that he never even visited this church. It wasn't on one of his journeys. But during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, which you remember from our last series, is where a big revival, right, broke out that lasted for two years. At least two men from Colossae were brought to the faith in Jesus Christ. A guy named Epaphras, who we'll talk about, or we just read about, and a guy named Philemon. It's thought that these two men helped start the Colossian church. Also, a guy named Onesimus is mentioned in the book of Philemon, and he was a part of the Colossian church. So I just want to give you guys some context. And Paul wrote to the Colossians to deal with some new doctrines that were being taught at Colossae and were invading the church and creating problems. Who's ever heard of that? A new weird teaching that comes in and tries to mess the church up, right? So Paul wrote this letter in order to refute these heretical teachings and establish the truth of the gospel. Because see, people were trying to add requirements and new thinking to the Christian faith that they already had. Isn't that crazy? That's what happens even now. Sad to say that even today there are many Christians who actually believe that a person or a personality, right, a religious system, their way of thinking and doing things, a political condition being just the right way, or a discipline that you have and add to your life can somehow add something to your spiritual experience. But they already had everything they will ever need in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is trying to deal with, guys. So the theme of the book of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ. How he stands above all, right? Colossians is powerful in displaying that, hey, I'm sorry guys, but nothing stands in the way of what Jesus did. Nothing needs to be added to what Jesus did. 
The emphasis of the book of Ephesians, if we go back one more time in our thinking, was on the church, the body of Christ, right? All the things that we talked about, the gifts that, that we opened up and we talked about, and then how, you know, the, the church then was to act, right? It was about the body of Christ. But the emphasis on Colossians is on Christ because he is the head of the body. It's powerful. We have to remember that. We can't lose our way in trying to be a church that's relevant or that's, you know, controversial or that makes headway or gets attention. We can't lose who we are just because we're trying to make a difference. We can't lose who the head of the body is. Now let's dive into the section we're dealing with today, Paul's introduction to the believers. So this first section of scripture, Paul begins by greeting the Christians in the church and calling them faithful brothers and sisters. Who wants to be called faithful, by the way? Right? We don't want to be a church that's fickle. So let's read together. To the saints, and I want to stop there. The saints, the, the Bible calls set-apart ones. I love that endearment. It's a term of like, this is who I've set you apart. You know, we hear words like saints and we just kind of think of like statues and, you know, tradition. And no, we're the saints. We're set apart by, by the Lord. To the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and for the love you have for all the saints. Let's stop right there and learn from some of the comments that Paul makes here. See, as Paul is greeting the church, he makes a really insightful statement to them about how he feels about them. Again, he never met them, right? So he's hearing what they're doing, what they're being like. And, and Paphos is sharing, Paul, this is what's happening there. The church is doing this and, and growing there. And it brings thanksgiving to Paul's heart. Right? He, he states that he's always thanking God for when he prays for them. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about someone who you're praying for and an instant smile comes on your face? Right? You're like, oh man, you think about how kind they are. You think about how they've helped you, right? And you say, Lord, thank you for them, right? Or how closely you've become connected to them, right? Close friends, you say, man, thank you, God, for that friendship. Thank you, God, for that person in my life. That's what Paul's feeling here. He doesn't know them very much, but he's heard great things. And he knows Epaphras is a true believer. And he's saying, wow, this is great. Now, have you ever had the opposite reaction when you think about somebody you pray? Come on, be honest. How difficult they seem to be. <laughs> How exhausting they are to be around. Right? So he's, he's being human here. He's sharing, hey, I'm, I'm excited. I'm thankful when I get to pray for you guys. Because I, I know what's going on. I'm hearing what's going on. So it's no small thing that Paul clearly wanted, wanted to commend them on what he'd heard about them from others. In fact, it brought thanksgiving to Paul's heart. Think about that. Sitting in jail, knowing he's going through all this stuff, and it brings him joy when he hears about a church out there that's growing and doing the things that God sent him as a messenger to do. That's encouragement. He needed that encouragement probably all the time, being sitting there in a cell. And get this, then he lists two reasons for this thankfulness. And that's what we were going to spend some time on today. The first one we're going to talk about today is the faith of the church. The faith of the church. First he says that he heard about their faith in what? In Christ Jesus. 
You can talk out loud. It's okay. So that brings me to my elaborate display here. His first pillar that we're going to talk about today is faith. Okay? Because this faith that this church believed in was a huge part of what was making them strong. This is the pillar, one of the pillars of their church. But note that the faith that they were speaking about isn't about the energy of faith, right? Conjuring up a faith in a scripture or, or a way of thinking that God's going to, you know, we're going to twist God's arm and make him do something. It's not faith in itself that is so often taught as being necessary for life. It's not the energy that you, that you need to grasp the great qualities of life, right? Just, just look above everything and see the clouds and see the mountains, you know, this aspirational stuff. It's not the faith needed just to plow through life, right? Like the, the grit and the hard work, and those are important things, but that's not the faith he's talking about here. He's not talking about faith in yourself or others that is needed to live successfully and be a human being. There's a lot of stuff out there. That's, just believe in this. Just believe in this technique and this tried true way and be this productive. All those things can be just, you know, faith in something, but it's not faith in what he's talking about. The great pillar of faith that we're talking about today is the only person, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what he's saying. You have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I'm hearing. Not that you're successful. Not that you're important. It's a small town. What am I thankful for? You have faith in Jesus. That word faith, by the way, is the Greek word pistis. And here's what it means. Leaning on the entire human personality upon God or the Messiah, an absolute trust and confidence in his power, get this, his wisdom and his goodness. Not our power, not our goodness, not our wisdom. And the full connotation there is that faith is a faith that perseveres. Not just a short-time faith, right? A faith that perseveres. This church was birthed in a time when pretty quickly as their excitement starts to, you know, kind of pass the honeymoon period, they're getting persecuted, right, all over. And so their faith had to persevere. It had to stand strong. That's the connotation of that word uh, in the Greek. And so we, make, we must make sure to live a, true, a life with a true faith in Jesus, right, that will persevere. I'm going to say this. No tragedy, as tough as a tragedy may be, even what's going on over in Ukraine, no circumstance, no person, or no new teaching should ever cause us to lose our faith in Jesus Christ. None. I know we could go through some devastating things, and that's when people say, well, I, I just got, I can't love a God or believe in a God that lets this happen, all that stuff. That's all battle stuff. That's all the enemy, and he still is the ruler of the world for a short season, and he's coming to an end, right? But the lies are to lose faith in Jesus over that stuff. Or sometimes it's just our circumstances. We go through things. I've gone through things where I'm like, Lord, I don't want to doubt. But I'm going through this. What's going on? And it's a battle for my faith in him through all things. That's a faith that perseveres. Just as Colossians were commended for having this reputation, we should endeavor to be known as people who have a strong faith in Jesus as well. The next thing we're going to talk about that he notices is the love of the church, the love of the church. See, he had heard that they have a love for all the saints. So I'm going to put this one over here, a little bit out of order. It's the love, this pillar of love 
was defining this church. It's important that we don't just have a strong faith and that we don't have love. Because this is the character that Jesus displayed that blew everyone away. Who would love someone enough willing to, you know, heal them on the Sabbath and knowing that that's going to break their laws, right? Who would stand up for the woman that's being about to be stoned to death? Even though she was guilty, she was only one part of it, right? It wasn't, the, you know, you're interested, you don't hear about the guy. She's there about to be stoned, and he stands up for her because of love. Truth was there. Their laws said this had to happen, and he says, nope. Let's walk in love here. And so love was the hallmark of our faith, is the hallmark of our faith, and was the hallmark of the Colossian church. So the second pillar is this, a true believer has to have a godly love for one another. Because love is a, is a very vague term. In fact, um, the word for love here is agape. That means that having a godly type of love or charity for others, right? Some of the older versions of the Bible said charity. Right? It's not based on personal reasons for liking someone. Come on. We love those who we like. Because we get along with them. We like the same things that they do. They, get, they don't rub us wrong. They don't argue with us. That's not this kind of love. It's just not. It's not because, you know, they're family and they're close and, and we're tight. Or even the fact, it's not a love that just only does it because we agree with them. Or they agree with us. It's based on a higher call to love the way God loves. Just let's look at 1 Corinthians, which gives us that powerful definition of love. And by the way, the same word in 1 Corinthians 13 is used here, agape. So I'm going to challenge this to say, I'm going to say instead of love, I'm going to say agape because I want you to remember the godly love that we're talking about. Agape is patient. Go ahead and put that scripture up. I know it says love, but again, to them it was agape love. Agape love is patient. Agape love is kind. Agape love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. And it does not keep a record of wrongs. Agape love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices only in the truth. It bears all things believes all things about others, that's the context, hopes all things and endures all things. I want to challenge us today. Have you seen people that you know or online that love exposing unrighteousness or unrighteous people? It can become like a sport, excited to expose and judge and ridicule those who are in sin or in error. I know that that stuff's out there. But guys, I have to remind myself, this does not line up with the way I should treat others. It doesn't. We should be praying for them. It should heartbreak us, not bring us like, yeah, we're exposing. It's, man, Lord, save them. Set them free. Right? We should be speaking the truth in love to those that say those things. And we say, well, wait, 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 wait. The word of God says this. Not, ha, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. This is what it says. Right? The temp... The, it's wild how the enemy will try to twist even our good intentions, our heartfelt intentions, into judgment and not walking in this kind of godly love. It's a, it's a warning to us, even as it was a warning to, or not a warning, but a commendation of the Colossian church. But I think by proxy, a warning to the church, right? Walk in this kind of love. 
So we should not want to take people down and take things down that we don't agree with. We should be praying and seeking God to transform and break through that. Right? Okay. So let me tell you. Ephesians 4 says this. Verses 1 through 4. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, which is Paul, he's talking again, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness. How much humility? All. Okay. And gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Get this, I love this one. I'm going to focus on this. Making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. Because there's one body and one spirit just as we're called to one hope at your calling. Just as you were called to one hope at your calling. Again, Paul challenges us, guys, as, and, and challenged the early church here to make every effort. Not a little bit of effort. Not, you know, I kind of, I gave them one little peace offering, but, you know, they were still punks, and I, I, that, I'm done. I don't have to do any more. I don't have to love them anymore. Come on. We got family members, right, that we may struggle with. We don't get, they don't get us. We don't get them. And so, oh, I made that effort. I made that phone call a couple years ago, and forget it. I don't have to do it again. I'm writing them off. In fact, sometimes people spiritualize this stuff, right? They call them demonic or whatever, and they're, they're basically cast them off to the whatever. Don't let that be your heart. Don't let that be the heart. Even if there's some reality to that, don't let it be your heart. Because Jesus wanted to save all. And until he makes that determination in the end of all things, we shouldn't do that ahead of him, right? I know this is kind of a tough word, even though this is Paul saying good things. <laughs> But I want to encourage us, right? The word of God encourages us. If the Bible challenges us, though, to love all of the saints, then there really can be no room for factions or quarreling or trying to undermine other believers. He says that you love all the saints. That's what's awesome about the Colossian church. And if we know someone who is a believer and they don't think like us or have the same convictions as us, what, what should we do? What should we do? We need to seek to understand them. We need to seek to encourage them in truth if needed. And we need to also be unified with them. Because it's important that the church is unified, guys. We can also show love for all the saints. Let me get off that topic. We can show love for all the saints by getting involved and serving our church needs. A big one right now for us at Northville is serving in the children's ministry. Like a nursery worker on Sundays or Wednesday nights. I know we put it up a bunch of times. We're not trying to you know, belabor it, it's really, though, it's, it's a way to show love. It's a way to show that I care practically, guys. So I'm going to take out some time to serve. It's really not that scary, I promise. I know a lot of us are like, oh, I don't want to walk in a room full of kids. What? But it's really not that scary. And honestly, the moment you get in there, you'll start laughing and having a blast. And every time, you don't have to serve all the time either. That's another, I think, if I sign up, I'll be doomed forever to have to serve. In whatever area, not just children's ministry, no. You don't have to serve all the time. But every time you do, it will greatly help love, us love the little ones here and the families with little ones. Because they matter to us as a church, right? So we need your help. Please ask for more information if you, and, and see if you can help us meet the need. But I thought that was important to bring up. That's a practical way to love. All right, let's move on to the last pillar. Can anyone guess, I mean anyone, guess what this pillar may be? Good job, class. All right. You're paying attention. Let's fill in the gap there. 
faith, hope, and love. Let's talk about the power of hope. See, this third pillar is after he commends them for the first two things, and he says this in first, uh, Colossians 1, 4 through 5. It says, for we have heard of your faith. Let me go back and, and just make sure it doesn't seem like a weird sentence. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. We just talked about that. Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth or the gospel. Guys, it's powerful what Paul says here about hope. Because this hope that we talked about and even the word of God came to us today about is based and focused on Christ and in heaven. The hope you have in heaven. Isn't that crazy? See, we must remember that ultimately, whatever happens here on this earth, whether good or bad, will be completely eclipsed by eternity. Eclipsed. I mean, think about it. A speck versus this never-ending eternity, right, of life. It will be completely eclipsed. And for believers, guess what? It's the reward of heaven. Isn't that awesome? This is the, it says they're doing all these things. They're loving people. They're believing in Jesus because of the hope they have in heaven. That was a part of the gospel, by the way. And let's look at Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses uh, 20 through 21. It says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is awesome. Number 21. He will transform the body of our humble condition. Hello, I want a new body. Into the likeness of his glorious body. By the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Isn't that awesome? Remember, we may love being here on this, in this country and, and getting to be who we are in this country. And we want to fight for that. But our citizenship is truly in heaven. Truly in heaven. And let's, let's be excited that we're going to be transformed into what he has called us to be transformed into. Not just the short now. Not, not just right now. Let's talk about heaven some more. Luke verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 22 through 23. This is Jesus. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Who wants to do that? <laughs> in the midst of all that happening to you, right? They exclude you, insult you, slander you, call you an evil. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Who leaps for joy, right? But he says this, take note, your reward is great in heaven. For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. God's challenging us to turn that around, turn our life experience around. When we suffer for being Christians, when we are left out of the society because we're Christians, take joy and take, you know, sorry, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because your reward is great in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for knowing that we're going to go through this stuff, knowing the church was going to suffer through all these thousands of years. And yet, says, take joy, guys. See the end. The reward is great. And let's finally go to Revelations 21, verses four, 1 through 4. Because we think of heaven, right, in the context of we think maybe, you know, we, we think there's clouds up there and, we're going to go see God, you know. And it's true. That's maybe how, you know, it talks about the heavens and where, where God is now. But one day, things are going to change. Let's read it. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city. 
the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven, down out of heaven, from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is awesome. Think about that. Picture it. God is, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. This is powerful. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Come on. Sometimes we get so caught up in the, the you know, great teachings about now and, and relationship with Jesus now. But come on. When Jesus takes care of all this, when the new heaven and the new earth come and God is with us and we're on this earth in a new Jerusalem and he wipes it all away, that's, that's the reward. Fellowship with God in that context is even better than having fellowship with God in this context, right? And there's a lot of joy in knowing God now. But how much more when we're there fully? Anyway, I feel like it's more for me because I was like, whoa, I haven't read this in a while. That's right. <laughs> it's going to be so good. All right. When we remember the hope of heaven, it's going to give us the proper perspective as we look at our lives every day. Whether we go through great suffering and injustice, right, or we go through great success and great fortune, it all pales in comparison to what heaven and eternity is going to be like. Keeping our hope in heaven, too, with Jesus will give us strength through every difficult season. It gives you strength. And here's the thing, and this is us in our American culture. It will also help us not to obsess over every small trial we face, every irritation we have, every setback. It'll, it'll help us not to obsess about that. It doesn't mean that God doesn't understand what we're going through. I'm not saying that. But in the midst of that, we say, wow, it's okay. Even if I suffer for now, or even if this irritation happens in my life, or even if this setback, that this goal I had, or this financial thing I really wanted to reach, or doesn't matter. We're going to look and see what heaven is going to bring our lives. It's going to be incredible. Because we will remember the bigger, and now it will help us because we will remember the bigger scope of our lives now. And the purpose of our lives now. I think it's important also that we share the power of this reward of heaven to others. Think about that. We don't always think about that when we talk about sharing the gospel. We talk about being saved and not going to hell and not having judgment on your life, getting free of sin. But we need to share the hope and joy of spending eternity with Jesus in heaven. If we don't do that, we are not sharing the whole gospel, guys. That's a reminder. Let's look at John 3.16. Come on, the, the king of all scriptures about this. For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him dun, dun, will not perish, we know that, but have eternal life. Eternal life. So it's not just saying having a great life now. It starts here. We don't wait till heaven to have this eternal life. We're new creations. But it continues for eternity, right? Eternal life. That's the gospel that Jesus shared. Now let's talk about how, let's continue on in the scripture and talks about how the word of God was spreading. The word of God was spreading. Paul explains how they, these Colossians, came to know about God's hope. And so let me back up a little bit again and read the last part so it seems more fluid. Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope of heaven in the word of truth, the gospel 
that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. Note that Paul mentions to the church there that the gospel of the word of truth was bearing fruit. It's not just spreading, okay? Stuff can spread, right? Rumors spread. Things spread. Notoriety happens. Fame causes people's names to be known everywhere. But it was bearing fruit. Isn't that cool? It's growing. The church is starting from this very small thing with a few believers that are scattered now and, and starting to spread. And now it's growing in its strength, growing and bearing fruit, showing the, the world, all over the world, the beauty of the gospel. If the word of God would have just spread and be lifeless, this would have been another cause, another you know, blip in history that people would look back and say, yeah, there's a bunch of people that were Christians, that were called Christians, and they kind of multiplied and it just kind of died off, right? Like history read, books read, but it didn't. Look at how alive the church is today, all over the world, and the difference the world has seen because of the church being installed. Even atheists, even staunch atheists say the Christian church has done more to help the world than anything else because the heart of God is in us. And we're spreading like wildfire to help the world. How many organizations are even right now in Ukraine that are Christian organizations? They're not worried about their Christian faith when they enter. They're saying, we need your help. And they're giving the help. And then the gospel is being spread right with it. Isn't that awesome? Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. But here's how he said it. Not only, it said, just like it's happening for you. Since the day you heard the truth. Till you came to truly appreciate God's grace. That's a really interesting thing he says there. You heard the truth, but you're growing and bearing fruit. Why? Because you're truly appreciating God's grace. Until we appreciate God's grace in our lives, the word of truth cannot fully grow and produce something in us. It's just not enough to hear it, right? A lot of people have heard the truth and they, they fall away from it, they skew it, they add things to it like it's happening here. But the grace that starts to, when you start to appreciate who God is and what he's really done in your life, you start to produce fruit. Be careful, and I say this to myself, that we don't stunt our growth by not appreciating the grace of God in our own life. Appreciate it. You know what happens when you start to lose that appreciation? You start to think, yeah, I am one of God's people, and they are not. And they are this, and they are that. Right? That's how we can start to become a Pharisee in our own heart. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. It's one, it, we got to mix up our, our emotions and our heart. Stay true to the love and the grace of God in our own life. Lest we forget, lest we become... Bible preaching, strong, able to discern all this stuff, and yet we have no love. Has someone ever treated you kindly or given you another chance, and you took it for granted and didn't fully appreciate what they've done for you? I know I've done that sometimes. Not really stopping back and saying, wait a minute, I was, a kind of a, I was a jerk, and wow, they were really nice to me. They gave me another chance. I didn't deserve that. Sometimes we don't think about it. We just kind of say, yeah, my bad. And we move on, right? Okay. We need to appreciate what God has done in our own life, and maybe it'll help us to act graciously to others as well. 
So let's wrap this up. I know I'm starting to get a little long here. Let's wrap it up and read verses 7 and 8. You learned, he's talking about, um, again, the, how the gospel's growing and, he, and, he, and all that. And he goes, and you learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So that's cool that he's like kind of, th- you know, and to all the Colossians writing on paper for eternity. That, hey, Epaphras was an awesome faithful minister. That's cool. He's like a pastor, right? And that was cool. And he goes, and he has told us about your love in the spirit. So again, Paul finishes his introduction to the Colossians with commending them on walking in love in the spirit. About their love for others in the spirit. Again, the word there used is agape. Godly love. And so as we start to wrap up, let me say this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We read the, the love is patient part and all that. But let's back up a little bit before that. And he says this. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, but I have, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains. I mean, come on. We see someone like that. We're going to go, whoa, they got it going on. They're moving mountains here. We look at people like that on TV. Wow, they're changing things. They're big. They're blowing up. But do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and I give over my body, I mean, even if we're self-sacrificial and we're, we're just doing everything to look like, wow, they are so giving. And if I give over my body even in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Right? People that are intense on, you know, religions that, that beat their bodies. And, and even in the Christian faith that are believing that, that's a part of their their penance and all this other stuff, careful, because are we doing it just to, to look pious, to look self-sacrificial? Do we just fast just so that people know that we fasted? But if I do not have love, I have nothing. I gain nothing. So let's skip down to where Paul wraps up his point in 1 Corinthians, and he says this, because he shared that, then he shared the love thing, what, what love really is, agape love is, and then he says this, for now we only see a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. For now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. And then he says this, now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. Say that with me, church. Faith, hope, and love. These are the only things that remain. Not all the knowledge, not all the mysteries figured out. There's people out there trying to discern and figure out every little detail of the end times. I'm sorry. These three things remain. What if I, I may know all that stuff, but do I have love? Do I have love? It's okay to learn this stuff, but does it cause more love in your heart or worry and panic and fear? Paul challenges us. He says, these things will remain. Faith in the Christ Jesus, hope of heaven, and love for all the saints, guys. That's what the church should stand on. James, could you come up? So we may not understand everything, right, about the world that we're living, or even us. Half the time I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I think that? Or about God. It takes time. It will take eternity to know this and fathom this God that we love and serve. But I want to leave you with these points today. We are to put our faith in Jesus and him only. Let's stay true to that, just like the Colossian church. 
We are to place our hope in our eternal reward in heaven. Not just hope in things going better tomorrow, me landing the job that I want, my family finally getting their act together. Those are things that drive us, right? Those are things that we hope for. I hope to make more money to take care of my family, right? I hope to, to resolve this issue with, with this person. I hope that I get noticed and promoted. Those are normal human things. I'm not saying they're all bad. But our main hope, our true hope, has to be an eternal reward in heaven. And it's not just stuff. It's not just getting to run around the streets of gold being like, woohoo. It's I get to be with Jesus in his context, in his full glory, being the king of kings and the Lord of lords, God with us in his fullness, us being transformed, right, being made into his image. That's the hope. No more tears, no more death, no more sorrow. That's hope. And we're to love others, especially our fellow believers with a godly love because that's what they were commended for. Loving all of the saints. Lord, help us to have a good heart and a good attitude towards different types of faith out there. If they put Jesus as number one, if they make Jesus their number one, they may have a lot of stuff that we don't agree with. But man, we should love them. We should encourage them. We should be unified with them. We should pray for them. We're going to open up the altar here. And I'm going to say there's a couple things we're going to talk about. First of all, if you have not truly placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone, you may have said the prayer before. Let me caution you. Sometimes people say, the, if you've never prayed this prayer, okay. <laughs> but if that prayer didn't go anywhere, it didn't mean anything, it didn't land in your heart, the love of God is still circling, trying to land. He's like, come on, come on, you're so close. Don't pray for fire insurance. Don't pray because you're feeling terrible and you want to feel good and you want to quit cop-outs. No, let it land. So if you've not truly placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone, I want to encourage you to do that today. He wants to not only keep you from perishing, but give you eternal life with him in heaven. And I'm going to encourage you, we're not going to pray the prayer. I encourage you to come forward today. Someone on the staff will pray with you. We're going to help you with that process. I encourage you to come forward and pray with one of us. Just for a minute. It's not going to be like painful. It's going to be good. We can walk you through the process of asking Jesus into your life. And number two, if you've struggled with loving others or forgiving others, The word of God says that we need to repent to God and ask God and the Holy Spirit to help us to learn to love others with a godly love. And the altars are here only as a place for you to make a stand in your own heart. Not to stand before others, not to show off, but to say, God, I get it. I get it. You love me and you want me to change. You want me to love, to love and forgive. It could be a family member that you've had a beef with for a long time. It could be, I don't know, there's so many ways this could go that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you about forgiving and learning to love, truly love others in his way.
So if that's you too, we're going to call you up in a second. You don't have to pray with us. If you want to, that's great. But you know what? These altars are here for us to talk to the Lord, to get right with him. And to walk out with a statement in our heart that I'm going to do what you're asking me to do, Lord. I'm going to love. I'm going to have genuine concern for others, genuine affection for others. I can let go of whatever they've done to me, and I can love them. That's hard, I know. But that's what the Lord asks. And you know, it's important that we realize that there's other types of love out there, right? It's not to say every other type of love is wrong, right? Brotherly love, you know, marital love, there's, there's, there's human love. That's fine. And it's not something that comes natural to us. So don't feel condemned if you don't love perfect and always kind and not arrogant. That's not our kind of love normally. That's a godly love. You know, God doesn't bring the word to condemn us. He brings it to bring us up to his level, to say, I've designed you for more. You can do more in my strength. You can do more if you learn to love my way of love. Let that be a pillar in your life instead of a love that changes and shifts based on agreements and people like me and affections and they, they did me wrong and I'm not going to love them. No. This is the challenge for all of us, for me. This is a hard word for me to preach because I know I've got to grow and change and receive that too. But we invite you to come up. So come on up to the altar in a second here and ask God to help you appreciate his grace for you too. And for everyone in your life, even the ones that rub us wrong, even the ones that we grimace when we go to pray for, like we talked about, God, thank you for the grace of them being a part of my life for whatever that's worth. Thank you. Help me to see that as your grace and walk in grace to them. Because when we see people through his gracious love, we will be able to love them the way he wants us to. We've got to see it first. I mean, you can't see it if all you see is what they do wrong and how messed up they are or their thinking or what they've gotten away with, you know. No, when we see it through God's grace, then we say, God, I can love them then because you loved me like that when I was maybe that way. So let's close our eyes real quick and pray, and then I'm going to invite you guys to come up. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you are such a loving father that even through a small section of scripture of commending a church, Lord, you speak loudly to us to put our faith in you, Jesus, all of our faith in you, to put our hope in heaven and to love others the way you designed us to love, the way you love. Thank you that you're patient and you're kind. You don't boast. You're not arrogant. You're not proud. You're not self-seeking. Help us to be that way, Lord. Help us to walk in that kind of godly love. Help us to see the grace and fully appreciate our, our uh, the grace in our lives. Fully appreciate the grace in our lives so that we can appreciate others and give grace to others. We surrender, God. We ask you to come into our hearts. Transform us into the people that you want us to be. Help us to be like the Colossian church, full of faith and love and hope. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that's struggling right now, struggling to come up, 
struggling to give their life to you. Lord, I pray you just give them that, that peace that passes understanding that gives them the hope to be willing to come forth to be transformed by your love and your power. Lord, give us the humility that we all need to admit if we've been wrong and we've hurt others and to walk in love. And Lord, we thank you today that we can be the body of Christ under one head, you. You are the shepherd of our home. You're the shepherd of our church. You're the shepherd of our lives. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you guys, come forward. Just keep everyone else, just stay, you know, respectful. Stay in your spot. I don't want us just to just dismiss because what the problem is, people dismiss. And then you'll miss the moment. So let's pray real quick.